Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the second Wednesday of the month, which means it's time for Rewind Your Body Clock with Jamie Goddard. Janie Goddard, she's broadcasting live all the way from England. So we have a lot of international guests on the show, and today she's going to be talking about how to become resilient. Please welcome her to the show. This is a great topic, especially especially since COVID, a lot of people, you know, realize that resiliency is a very important thing to have in life. Uh, AJ, thank you so much for having me. And it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yes, resilience is crucial. Um, my goodness, after what we've been through in the last few years, and uh, also what we're dealing with in on the world stage at the moment, uh, you know, there's just so much trouble and conflict and strife. And um, and, and people, because of the, uh, you know, because of the the impact of lockdown and the toll that it's taken um, on so many people, where, that we don't even sometimes acknowledge. This is the thing. I think that it was a tr very traumatic time for so many people. Um, and then, of course, we're now seeing essentially the financial aftermath of, of all of that. Plus also, you know, we've got all of these things that are coming through to us from our news services and on social media and so on about, you know, obviously Ukraine, we've got a horrific situation with the Turkey-Syria earthquake and other earthquakes in other locations uh, just, just recently as well. Um, and it's just a really, really difficult time for so many people. Um, so I really thought it was about time uh, to talk about resilience. It's a topic that is very close to my heart at the moment, especially because um, my, my darling mother is very, very unwell at the moment. And uh, she's been um, in hospital. She's just, she hasn't long come home. And we've got intensive nursing, lots and lots of carers and support workers coming in, doctors coming in, nurses coming in and so on. It, we are very, very, very blessed to have all of this massive support in, in the UK as, as we do. Um, and so, you know, that is something I'm truly overwhelmingly grateful for but it's given me a chance to sort of sit in the hospital when mum was in and just observe what was going on around and um, we know in the UK that nurses um, who work in the National Health Service our NHS as it's known um, are dissatisfied uh, we've got strikes going on and friends of mine who are nurses uh, midwives and and so on are actually saying we never ever thought that we would ever be put in a position where we would have to go out on strike um and it's just dreadful it really is it's about wages it's about working conditions and so on and so forth and these are people who are doing this work as a vocation so it got me thinking about it and you know wondering about how they are what you know what's going on for them looking at their levels of burnout in the profession and it's incredibly high so i was wondering is that just to do with uh, the uk or is this uh, burnout amongst nursing and medical staff uh, more ubiquitous around the world? 
And actually, AJ, my goodness, it is. In fact, it's worse in other countries. I had no idea. I was just thinking, oh, you know, it must be it must be our situation here, you know, because you, you tend to hear more about your own kind of backyard. And um, anyway, so I started looking at uh, some of the, the research um, about nurses in USA and Canada. Um, in Canada, 95% of nurses say they've got absolute burnout and they're, they're actively coming out of the profession. In the USA, it's 75% of nurses um, actively burnt out and actively looking to change profession. Now, these are people that we completely rely on. If those nurses leave the profession, what on earth are we going to do? It's, it's not a good picture. So I've also been looking though at what's the flip side of that? What can be done to improve resilience, let's say in nurses first of all, and then extrapolate from there and look at what the research says about re building resilience um, in ourselves, in our first responders, in our teachers, in our police forces and, and so on and so forth. Um, and it's a very interesting picture because a lot of research actually exists on this topic. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that, AJ, if that's okay. And also then I thought, let's get really practical today with several exercises that are driven by the research evidence in the field of positive psychology and resilience. Um, so these are approaches and exercises that actually do make you more resilient. Um, the, the term uh, sort of in the resilience co research community is our bounce back ability, uh, which is a kind of a, one of those made up words, but sort of everybody's adopted it. It's our, our ability to bounce back from tough times like a rubber ball. And the more resilient we are, the more able we are to bounce back when something comes out at us out of left field. So that's really what I thought we might do today, AJ, and um, share these exercises in the hopes that our viewers will be able to then share these with their loved ones. And you can rest assured and be really uh, secure in the knowledge that they do work, that they are research evidence-based and um, that they're easy. I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, there's no point in me giving exercises if they're all terribly difficult and take ages and are boring. Uh, no, on, on the other, on the contrary, these are approaches that are enjoyable and insightful and will make you rather happy and increase your happiness levels in actually doing them. So uh, how does that sound, AJ? Do you like- That sounds like a very um, useful thing to do. Great. Okay, so so let's forge ahead then. So um, what they found uh, with the nurses, and uh, this is predominantly research coming out of the USA. Um, there's great mindfulness research all over the world now, uh, but it really did have its kind of birth um, in the USA, uh, both West Coast and East Coast. And, you know, we've got people like John Kabat-Zinn to, to uh, thank for this. And then we've got the amazing folks over at uh, Berkeley, um, at the, uh, the Science Center for the Greater Good, or the Greater Good Science Center. It's, it's sometimes they flip the name around a little. Um, amazing researchers, extraordinary people who are really hardcore scientists who are working in these amazing fields of loving kindness and compassion and um, mindfulness and mind-body medicine. And of course, also we have to go back and give the nod to essentially the man who really was the father of mind-body medicine, uh, the wonderful Dr. Herbert Benson. Now, 
I was lucky enough to train under him on his mind body medicine training courses. So a lot of what I'm sharing today comes straight from the granddaddy of this field, which is, is good and it's useful. I think for people to know that it hasn't sort of gone through change after change after change as it's gone from one person and handed down. So um, what was found uh, with the, the nurses in the USA uh, was that they looked at these nurses who were saying that they were very, very burnt out and they did a brief mindfulness-based intervention with them. Now, in real language, in real English, what that actually is, is that they taught them mindfulness. And they just did a couple of weeks training, um, which you would think, wouldn't you? Well, it's not very much, you know, is that really going to contribute to um, anything meaningful or anything measurable? Um, would there even be any measurable positive change in these people? Um, and the answer is actually, yes, there was. They were happier, they felt healthier, and they were measuring on their measures of health and well-being, such as, you know, how their sleep was, the types of foods they were wanting to consume, uh, their alcohol consumption or not, you know, had that changed at all? Uh, smoking, had that um, moderated? Had they decided or given up or decided they were going to smoke a few cigarettes? And so all of those sorts of measures, as well as blood pressure, blood sugar, and all of those sorts of more physiological measures had improved after just two weeks of a mindfulness training. So what is mindfulness? It's very, very straightforward, very simple. Mindfulness is, I guess we could best say, it's when we take time to just be in the present, to sort of bring ourselves into the here and now, settle down and just take a moment to notice what's going on around us. Um, noticing sounds that are in our environment, noticing perhaps the temperature of the air on our skin, um, maybe noticing how, if you're sitting in a chair, for example, maybe noticing how the chair supports us perhaps under our bottom and our legs and our feet on the ground and perhaps the, our back against the back of the chair. Um, how do our clothes feel on our skin? It's all of those little minutiae, all of those little bits and pieces that constitute really becoming aware of the present moment. It's also about how do we feel in the present moment? Are we feeling stressed? Are we feeling happy? Are we feeling tired? Are we feeling hungry, uh, grouchy? Uh, what is it that's going on for us right in the moment? Now, you'll be aware from what I've just said that there are no right or wrong answers. It's just about what's actually going on right now. Now, the thing is that um, what this does is it brings us into this present moment. And when we're fully in the present moment, what actually happens is that we're not being kind of stressed out by what's coming down the pike at us, you know, from the future. 
or what's kind of, you know, just gone on in the recent past or the distant past that we're still perseverating on all this time later. It brings us into the here and now. And that gives us the most extraordinary break, the most extraordinary time out. And when we do that, it allows a sort of a reset, if you will. And when we do this kind of reset process, it dramatically impacts our stress levels and it helps us to really start to begin the process of becoming more resilient. And so what's been discovered is that when we take time to be mindful, it actually changes the, the way that our brain works insofar as the brain has this wonderful ability to restructure itself. It's a beautiful and most amazing and fascinating thing called neuroplasticity. And um, what actually happens with neuroplasticity is that our brains are able to rewire themselves so that our neurons, our connections, the way that our brains, all the bits and pieces all connect together, all of those nerves and all of those junctions form and connect, the brain's very clever and it actually has ways of connecting to facilitate the way that we think more easily. So if we're mostly thinking negative thoughts or if we're mostly associating with very negative people, the brain will go, aha, well, this is the kind of thinking that you're wanting to do because you keep doing this. So I'm going to connect in ways that enable you to think those thoughts more easily, which is why we've got to be very, very aware of the kind of news that we look at, the kind of social media we take in, the kind of people we hang out with, if we're hanging out with people who constantly complain all the time uh, with no resolution and they're complaining for complaining's sake, we've got to really guard against that because that's actually quite dangerous for us. Um, and in, in a moment, I'm going to come on to that because there's an implication here for healthcare workers, um, integrative medical practitioners, complementary medical practitioners like myself and others, for example, because we're stuck in practice day in, day out, listening to complaints because people come to us for a reason, you know, they're not well or what have you. Um, so we will have people giving us, you know, very, very difficult stories, very um very challenging stories. Um, so how, you know, does that affect our neuroplasticity? Well, the answer is yes, it can if we allow it to. But if we do, if we take these little mindfulness breaks, um, then this will actually help to inoculate us against the negativity that we have to deal with as part and parcel of our day-to-day -day, uh, working lives as healthcare supporters, nurses, doctors, integrative medical practitioners and, and all the rest. Um, it's the same for first responders. So this, this um, idea of mindfulness breaks um, is almost like a psychological first aid. Uh, so, so yeah, it's really important that we do it. So how do we do it? Um, it's very interesting. A lot of people, uh, right, going right back to Dr. Herbert Benson, would always say you need 20 minutes twice a day of either a mantra meditation or sitting and being mindful and so on. But what other researchers have found um, over the years is that, yes, it's lovely to do that. And that is absolutely valid. Sitting for 20 minutes twice a day, if you have the luxury of time to do so, absolutely is valid. 
But the intriguing thing is it's been discovered that the minimum effective dose for meditation to get all of these wonderful health-giving, incredible advantages is just 12 minutes a day. And we don't have to do that all at once. So if we're able to train ourselves to have these little mini mindful breaks, it will work. So you're standing at the checkout queue and, um, or checkout line <laughs> if you're in America. And uh, you know, so you've got a moment there while the person in front of you is being served. Um, so yeah, stand there, just be aware of, of, of what's going on for you in the present. You don't have to look as though you're doing, nobody would know you were doing a mindful break, uh, but only you would know, uh, but you're just really, really being in the present and being aware. Perhaps when you're at the traffic lights, just take a moment for a mindful, just a few seconds for a mindful break. And, you know, so, and, and so you'll see where I'm going with this. Anytime you get a little bit of downtime in your busy day to day, just bring yourself into the present moment. Um, it's quite extraordinary because these mindful breaks don't just calm us down. They lower our blood pressure. They have extraordinary physiological effects that are incredibly health giving um, and health promoting. And they even serve to help grow our telomeres, those caps on the ends of our chromosomes, that little repeating unit of DNA that actually can be measured and can show our biological age. So you see, there's method in my madness. It's not just about calming us down and making us feel good on a temporary basis. It goes so much deeper than that, even to, this, to the effect that it has of rewinding our biological clocks and helping us to become biologically younger. And why do we want to do that? Well, the reason we want to become biologically younger is because this is what helps us to become more resistant to the so-called diseases that we wrongly associate with being a natural part of the aging process. So, <coughs> excuse me, AJ, what I'm thinking of here are things like um, lifestyle-related cancers. Um, obviously not all cancers, you know, sometimes there are cancers that cannot possibly be avoided, but many, many cancers, as we know, are lifestyle-related. Uh, things like type 2 diabetes, um, arthritis, um, autoimmune illnesses, uh, even the neuro neurological diseases, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and, and other dementias. So we associate these and a lot of us think of these illnesses as being a natural part of the aging process. The truth of the matter is, and for those viewers who watched uh, the last uh, session that we did with Dr. Frank Sabatino, you'll remember that he spoke about these diseases as being largely avoidable, haltable, and reversible, even if we do have them. And in conventional medicine, that is not really uh, a totally acknowledged. It's not really totally, uh, the doctors are not completely aware that there is so much that we can do just with lifestyle choices. So coming back to the idea of resilience, mindful breaks will dramatically increase our resilience levels. But what else can we do to improve resilience? Well, one of the, so I think it's important to understand that resilience is not just 
a mental thing. It's not just mental, emotional. It's actually physical as well. So what do we do to maintain our physical resilience to so that we're less susceptible to opportunistic infections, colds, flus, viruses, and so on? Well, what we can do is we, we first of all want to make sure that our nutrition is on point. Now, as you know, and um, you know, we all keep coming back to this because this is what the evidence says, a whole food, plant-based diet that is free from added salt, oil and sugar, SOS free, is absolutely the way to go. I throw into the mix alcohol free, caffeine free as well, um, because, you know, we know that they don't really do us any good, um, but most essentially salt, oil and sugar free. So, um, making sure that we are eating as well as we possibly can, um, consuming as much of an array of fresh fruit and vegetables, um, in moderation, nuts and seeds, if that is something that agrees with you and works with your particular protocol. Um, I know that you talk about this all the time, AJ, so I'm sure that everybody watching will be, will be so aware of what you do and, and what you talk about so brilliantly and what you share so brilliantly. So I won't, you know, I won't dwell on that uh, because I think everybody's really on message with that. Um, but the reason that we're doing this is not because, you know, it, it's coming from just a, you know, a sort of a compassionate perspective or what have you, but it's because this is what the science says as well. No ifs, buts and maybes. So by making sure that we are consuming foods and liquids, water, for example, that actually are health promoting, this is going to go a massively long way in improving our resilience, maintaining our bodies in the way that we want them to be maintained, not just from a body composition perspective, but also from a hormonal perspective, from, from a biological perspective, and from you know, the whole beautiful cascade and constellation of our physiology, because we need those phytonutrients in order for our bodies to function correctly. So, you know, that's that's one thing that we have to do. The next thing we do need to do, um, and it's just absolutely crucial, of course, is sleep. Um, if you can, it's ideal to sleep in a fully darkened room. I know I talk about this a lot, but it is so important. Uh, it's just crucial to us because the problem is that if you are exposed to light at night, it shuts off the production of the sleep hormone melatonin. And if we shut that off, we just, we, we'll be wakeful, we won't get the restorative deep sleep and we won't get the REM, the dream state sleep that we need in order to be happy, healthy and sane. Um, in fact, if you deprive people of sleep um, for a long enough period, and it's not that long a time, they actually mentally completely break down. Sleep is unbelievably crucial. And I do talk about it a lot in, in my book, Rewind Your Body Clock, because it is one of the cornerstones, the, 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 the most important things that we can do for our health and well-being. Um, then of course, we come to hydration. Hydration is crucial. Uh, even a small amount of dehydration actually affects us and makes us less resilient and more vulnerable to stressors and opportunistic infections as well, and will worsen any ongoing conditions. So these things are to be taken seriously. And you can judge how hydrated you are or not um, by simply by looking at the color of your urine. Your urine should be a pale straw color. 
no no darker than that it's got to be pale <coughs> excuse me if it's any darker than that then get some fluid on board um ideally water water is what we're really designed to drink um uh, but you know if you're into your green juices and all of those sorts of lovely things as i am uh, then those are also really rather lovely as well um and then finally um aj i just wanted to really go through a few exercises um that we know are really helpful um so uh, if you don't mind i'm just going to have I've actually got a smoothie talking about things to drink. I've got a lovely smoothie here. So excuse me one second. You got to tell us what's in the smoothie. Oh, I shall. You know, it looks really ghastly. <laughs> but um, what's in it? Um, dark berries, raspberries. So I've got uh, black currants, blackberries, raspberries and strawberries, kale. Um, because I'm rushing around and being a full-time carer now, as well as doing everything else. I've also got a couple of scoops of a really clean protein powder. I often don't really recommend protein powders because I believe that on you know, the way that we eat, uh, you do get enough protein. We all know that, but because I'm, my, my meal times are very erratic. Um, sometimes I'm missing meals uh, because of everything that's going on with my darling mum. And for example, last night I was up four or five times in the night to, to look after her. So I've actually, I'm, I'm indulging in a, in a little bit of really clean uh, protein powder there as well. Um, so yeah, and it's delicious, if I do say so myself. <laughs> so, um, yeah, oh, and vanilla. I've got a little bit of uh, vanilla essence and a really beautiful, nice uh, organic one. So, so yeah, so that's just pecked it up a little bit and some cinnamon as well. Um, because as we know, cinnamon just kind of takes the edge off the sugar spike. And that's the last thing anybody needs right now is a sugar spike, especially when you're under a lot of stress. That's not a good thing. So uh, yeah, <laughs> so that's that's helpful. And I've been talking all day. That's and of course, mum's deaf. So the problem is I'm constantly shouting. This is the thing. Really, I have to really raise my voice uh, constantly. So the the old vocal cords are uh, start, starting to give out a bit. Anyway, let's let's talk about some of these lovely exercises I've found um, for our viewers. Um, what we've got, uh, one of the first things um, is that I wanted to talk about the importance in life of having a sense of purpose. Um, now, um, when we find meaning in our environment, um, it's a huge act of resilience. In fact, um, Viktor Frankl, um, the, he was a psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor. He wrote this extraordinary book that I recommend to everybody. It's not easy reading, of course, obviously, um, but it's called Man's Search for Meaning. And it is one of the most profound books ever. And it's an exercise in resilience and really tells you everything you need to know about resilience. Um, Frankl said, in 1959, he said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of his human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. Um, that in itself is such a profound statement. Um, and it, it sort of reflects where we are with the research um and it's it shows this is this is sort of what we're seeing I'm now is that, um psychologists have found repeatedly that people with a very strong sense of purpose 
experience more resilience, a stronger sense of well-being, and even better cognitive functioning. Um, purpose in life helps us to foster resilience in part because it protects our brain against the negative effects of stress. Um, and uh, a, a wonderful researcher, she's a neuropsychologist, I should say, give her a correct title. Her name's Patricia, Patricia Doyle, PhD. And she actually works at the Alzheimer's Disease Center. And she said something very profound, I feel. Purpose somehow gives your brain resilience. It makes your brain stronger and more resistant to the effects of diseases like Alzheimer's. So doesn't it just go to show that just changing our viewpoint actually impacts an incredibly serious disease like Alzheimer's? And what's really intriguing is that you may not see uh, actual organic change in the brain of the Alzheimer's patient. But when they are given resilience building skills, their ability to cope with the ravages of the disease is markedly improved. So it's so easy to do these things. So the next step is where we look at our life purpose. The Japanese have a word for it, it's called ikigai. And that word loosely translates to purpose in life, or the French would say raison d'etre, of course. So let's, let's take a little sort of um, uh, inventory of a few questions about our purpose in life. So the first question that we need to ask ourselves is just to sit quietly in a, in a quiet moment, say, why am I? It's a really weird question. It's not grammatic, grammatically correct in any way, but why am I? Why am I? And when we start repeating that to ourselves, we start to get answers. And it's very intriguing and it's very profound. And the next question is, why do I get up in the morning? What gets me up in the morning? What gives me my, my get up and go? What are those reasons? What are those purposes? Uh, the next question is, what keeps me awake at night? Some people are lucky enough not to have anything keeping them awake at night. Um, but anyway, what is it that keeps me awake at night? The next one is, when am I most alive? So take a moment to think about what really fires you up, uh, what really makes your, your heart sing. When am I most alive? And then the next question that you ask yourself is, what does being successful mean to me? And again, when we ask ourselves this question, what does successful mean to, what does being successful mean to me? Sometimes the answers that we expect to get are not the answers we get. It's very intriguing. Um, and then the next question that we, sh we need to think about is how can I apply my gifts to a pursuit that is of deep interest to me and also helps others? We can shorten that a bit by saying, what can I do? How can I apply my gifts to doing something that is really interesting to me? and also has the benefit of helping others. The next one's a real quick one. What can I do today 
to make a difference in one person's life? What can I do today to make a difference in one person's life? If you say yes to living purposefully, what do you say no to? This is an intriguing question. So if I, if I decide that's it, I'm going to live purpose, I'm gonna live on purpose. What are the things I'm going to say no to? So that might be changing one's diet. It might be not binging one more episode of the latest Netflix drama. Um, it might be uh, saying no to that delicious looking cream cake over there or whatever it is. <laughs> what is it that you say no to? It could be relationships. It could be aspects of relationship. It could be demands placed on you perhaps by an in-law, for example. <laughs> um, you know, it can be all sorts of interesting things um, that help us to set our boundaries. Uh, so so those, that's something very important, a very important question. Um, and now an imagination question. If you happened to meet an older version of yourself, what sage advice would they give you? So just project yourself into the future. Imagine yourself as an older version of yourself. What advice? is that older self going to give you? It's a very interesting part of the exercise. Okay, so those are exercises that have been, um, they've been created by some wonderful PhD researchers in the field of positive psychology. And uh, they've been doing a lot of research with those questions and they're finding that they're really helping people to develop a sense of purpose in life. And interestingly enough, what the research has also found is that even if we don't have an exact purpose in life, the idea of searching for purpose and meaning in our lives actually has all the same positive health and wellness effects. So it's, it's that sort of that search. It's the idea of being actively engaged in our lives that is so, so important. Um, so that's that exercise. And I think the one I would like to talk to you about next is something that's very dear to my heart. I talk about and I teach a lot about uh, kindness and loving kindness. And um, one of the great thinkers and researchers in the field is a wonderful lady called Sonia Yubomirsky. And uh, she's an amazing person. And she's actually shown in her research that one of the best ways to boost happiness and resilience is to perform acts of kindness, volunteering, mentoring, or even expressing gratitudes towards others. Um, so how do we integrate these things into our lives? Well, I know that our viewers will be absolutely au fait with how to do things like random acts of kindness. But I was wondering if anybody's uh, watching in at the moment, whether they've got any particular favorite acts of kindness or random acts of kindness that they like to do. Um, sometimes we get some amazing answers with this question. Uh, but uh, Sonia Lyubomirsky says, um, consider a formal volunteering program 
in a area or topic that you are passionate about. It's well known that volunteering is extraordinarily helpful for us, not just mentally and emotionally, but also physically, would you believe? Um, volunteers score better on every measure of health and well-being, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's just the most extraordinary sort of uh, route to, to, um, it, to, to biological health and happiness. It's just extraordinary stuff. Um, so the next exercise that we can, we can actually think about in this section, acts of kindness, is pick one person a day to show extra kindness to. So don't overdo it, don't overwhelm yourself with thinking, goodness me, I've got to go and volunteer here and I've got to go and volunteer there and I've got to be kind to this person, I've got to be kind to that one and I've got to go and put money in that stranger's um, top, up, top up their parking meter. That's a, that's a very uh, what a typical one that people do. But you know, the thing is actually, it has been shown in the research again that the converse is true. If you try to do too much, then it has an opposite effect. You end up sort of getting kindness fatigue and you start burning out a bit. So um, they do say in the research, if you're going to volunteer, don't volunteer for more than two volunteering activities at a time, um, because otherwise you will tend to get burnout. So just be aware that there are limits on this and nobody is uh, Superman or Superwoman um, or Superperson, because actually you've got to look after it. Self-care is crucial absolutely crucial we're going to come on to that in a moment um so have a think about the things that you can do you know could you a lot of the things you can do for example in in um cafes or coffee shops that sort of places you can you can pay it forward so you can pay for a coffee for the next person in line or sometimes coffee shops will have a little program or cafes will have a program set me over here where um they uh, donate food and drinks to homeless people and you can actually contribute to buy, buy coffees or teas or drinks or juices or sandwiches or whatever it is um, for the, the people that they the homeless people that they look after so you know there's there are quite a lot of ways that you can actually find all of this out um, and things to do for example in the hospital just recently um, I was chatting to a volunteer there she's a lady that pushes the tea and coffee uh, cart around the different wards and um, getting teas and coffees for the patients and also for the visitors which is really lovely um, and obviously there's no charge for any of that um, but she's uh, she's nearly 90 and she's been volunteering at this particular hospital for the last 40 years um, and she's so vibrant and so active um, and she I'm saying you know I'm being so interested in in the you know the, the aspects the, you know the positive psychology aspects of volunteering um, and kindness and I said so so you know Irma um, you know how are you what do, you know what does this do for you should oh I wouldn't be without it dear I wouldn't be without it it's what keeps me getting I, it gets me up in the morning keeps me going I see all my friends have a good laugh with the patients and the visitors and just try to put a smile on everybody's face and she was extraordinary and still going strong at nearly 90 and giving giving to you know to others in this beautiful way so let's all learn from lovely Irma and uh, the next exercises that I wanted to chat and share with you today, chat about and share with you, are gratitude activities. Um, the practice of gratitude is one of the most time-tested 
and proven methods for enhancing resilience. Um, one study that was published in the Clinical Psychology Review, um, this was back in 2010, it confirmed that the benefits of habitually focusing on and appreciating the positive aspects of life on resilience. And this was by Robert Emmons. He's one of the superstars. He's sort of one of the rock stars in the field. Um, they found that people who kept gratitude journals experienced improved well-being in every measure. So how do we do this? Um, I'm going to combine this with another exercise because it, the two things are very, very similar. And my worry is that if I sort of break them down, it might get a bit confusing. So, I'm get, so I want to just introduce the concept of keeping a gratitude diary. And then I wanted to bring into that the three good things workbook that you can actually get on my website. And it's, it's, it's a free download. So, um, the three good things um, uh, diary, it's, it is a gratitude diary really of sorts. And the three good things exercise is where at the end of the day, what you'll do is you will sit and write in great detail, as much detail as you can, as much sensory detail as you can about three good things that happened during the day. So it's not just a case of saying, oh, I caught my bus on time and that was a good thing. Well, yes, of course it is a good thing. But you could say, for example, it was pouring with rain. I was really cold. Um, I was really shivering at the bus stop and my bus came along just at the right time and I was able to jump on it and I got into the bus and it was really warm and toasty and I felt really cozy for the rest of my journey and I could look out of the window and I could see all these wonderful sights as I got, went on my way to work. You know, obviously it's got to be appropriate to you and your life. So perhaps, you know, you might have uh, been able to take a walk in the forest on that particular day perhaps the sun was shining and you could feel the sun on your back and your shoulders just dropped down as you relaxed into that beautiful nature and connected with the that the air that you were breathing and the feel of the earth under your feet and the bird song and the sun dappling through the green leaves and so on so it's all of these wonderful sensory cues that you need to bring in to your three good things diary or journal, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so you write these three good things. They have these three separate good things that you can be grateful for and happy that they, that they occurred on this day. As I say, bring in all of those sensory cues. Now, the reason that we do that is because when we are uh, writing all of this down, it's best to do it actually in longhand if you possibly can. Um, it helps us to foster positive thoughts and emotions. And the interesting thing is the more sensory cues you actually bring in, the more you are fostering a, a, a neuroplasticity, so the growth of the neurons, the rewiring of the brain, that actually facilitates greater levels of happiness, greater levels of resilience, and greater levels of peace and, uh, and, and an improved response to stressors. And of course, as we know, as a consequence, all of that has the trickle-down effect of making us physically healthier as well. 
and actually making us biologically younger. So you see how all this stuff comes together. It's really intriguing that it all actually all comes together. So consider ending your day by reflecting on those beautiful things that happened to you. And then at the end of the week, you can look back and go, my goodness, actually, this is a really good week. Gosh, I really enjoyed doing that because we forget, you know, we have, we humans have, have a negativity bias and that's an important thing. We tend to remember the bad things over remembering the good things. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is because developmentally, when we were back living in tribes, living in caves, for example, we needed to remember that that time we went out walking to gather our nuts and our seeds and our berries, a saber-toothed tiger came around the corner and my goodness, as lucky I ran fast enough because he nearly got me. And so that's what's really hardwired into the most primitive parts of our brain. And this is why we have a negativity bias because it keeps us safe. So what we're doing by the three good things and being grateful and, 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 and really uh, working on developing our gratitude muscle is that we are helping to rewire the more laterally developed part of the brain, the, the cerebral cortex. And so that's actually then going to help us to be, be able to preferentially choose more positive thoughts and more psychological and mental well-being and health and happiness in the future. So that's how it all works. It's very interesting. The brain is a mighty intriguing organ. So there we go. Um, I think uh, AJ, we're, we're almost at, uh, we're coming towards the top of the hour. Um, are there any questions or anything that uh, have come up? Because I, I can't see the, the group. Okay, the let me look there. I mean, I, I'm seeing some comments. People are talking about what some of their random acts of kindness are that oh. they do, uh, giving compliments to strangers, things like that. Uh, so that's really nice. And people are talking about how people seem less happy since the pandemic. Mm, yes. It's funny, actually, I don't know if it's the same for um, people who are watching, but certainly in the UK, what I've noticed is that there seems to be a lot more aggression, um, not sort of necessarily overt aggression where people are sort of going around hitting each other. I'm sure that happens. It happens everywhere. But what I mean is just the sort of way that uh, people behave in public sort of more aggressive uh, language uh, being used and, and so on. And we also see this on social media. Um, social media has become a little bit of a free for, for all uh, for with uh, trolling and nastiness and um, really very negative behaviors. Uh, so one of the things that we do have to do is um, make sure that if we are using social media, that we are intentionally using it. So. For, for example, I know you do, AJ, I do. We have to use social media for our work, but we use it intentionally. So we're not just, you know, doom scrolling, um, as they call it, to sort of see, oh my goodness, the next thing. Oh my goodness, look at the next thing. Oh my goodness, look, look, look at the next terrible thing that's happened. Or this troll and that troll and this person being horrible to that person and, you know, flame wars happening and so on and so forth. So um, what we've got to do is we've got to pick um, social media that is going to be uplifting. Uh, one of the things I try to do, just for example, on my, my basic sort of um, Facebook uh, feed, is I make an effort in the hopes that people will see it or just stumble across it. I try to include beautiful pictures or 
pictures of um, animals doing silly things, uh, things that, you know, that we love to look at and that we get, oh, aren't they beautiful? Oh, gosh, you know, aren't we lucky to have these beautiful creatures in, in the world, in our lives and so on. Um, I love to, um, you know, share some lovely recipes or maybe share a really happy meme or a funny meme, but, you know, as long as it's not harmful, as long as it's kind and uplifting. Those are my sort of my buzzwords and my watchwords, because I think if we were all to do that, there will be a sort of a, a, a big sea change in the way that social media operates, um, because we do need more positivity. I know that, interestingly enough, um, I've seen a big change in TV programs. Um, so as you know, in the UK, we have these programs like the Great British Bake Off, uh, we have uh, the sewing, the Great British Sewing Bee, and uh, oh, um, the Great Pottery Throwdown, all of these things. Now, they are competitions. Um, but and they've have translated over to the USA. And I know that you do have those over there. And the reason that these programs are so popular in the USA is because you've got groups of people who are competing, but they're all helping each other. They're all being kind to each other. They're being really, um, you've got a great group energy there. You've got team spirit. And it's wonderful because if you look at back at the look look back at some of the programs like America's Next Top Model, where they're actually pitting people against each other, and you know the showrunners are really digging in there and just trying to get the negativity flowing in the thought that this is what people want to watch. It really isn't. People want kindness. We need kindness in the world. We need love. We need compassion. And so it's lovely to see that actually the world is changing um, and that actually our default as human beings, the vast majority of us, is kindness and compassion. If you look at what happens in a disaster, for example, you haven't got people going in and doing terrible things to other people to try and sort of, I'm all right, Jack, I'm going to climb over you. But actually what happens, the reality of what happens and what the research shows is that people go in there and they help their fellow human being. And it's very interesting. Uh, there's a wonderful program on, uh, on, uh, on, on YouTube, uh, a full program at the moment. And you know something, um, the name escapes me right now, but what I'll do is I'll put it in the comments uh, after the show um, because it's freely available here on, on Netflix. Uh, and it's a wonderful program that actually shows the research in human kindness. And the fact is that our set point is to be good to each other. And that um, where you have um, disasters, let's say for example, um, floods or fire or earthquake or what have you, the media, in order to sell programs, shows pictures of people looting and so on and so forth. And actually, the reality is that this happens in such a minuscule way compared to the 99.9% .9 of people who are actively helping each other, helping their fellow man and woman. And that's what we do. Um, and this is really important to remember that we human beings are much better than we're portrayed in the media. So I hope that that helps people. So Netflix show, what is that again? That we I, do you know something, AJ, I'm going to leave the, uh, if you don't mind, I can't bring the name of it to mind at the moment. Um, as I say, my brain's a bit frazzled from, you know, up and down, up and down in the night looking after mum. But I want to, if you don't mind, I'll put the name in the, um, in, in the, in the comments. 
um, after the after the show, if that's okay, and I'll send it to you on um, by by text or by email, if that's okay. I'll look it up as soon as we've finished, if that's all right. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love to put it in the show notes. Awesome. Okay. And uh, there's a question. Susanna says, "Do you have any suggestions for how to lift your mood when you're incredibly busy and things keep going wrong? For example, the car breaking down yesterday comes to mind." Oh yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, we've got snow today and uh, my uh, heating uh, went. Um, so as well as looking after mum and 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 the doctors and the nurses and the support workers and, um, you know, on and off the loo and, you know, oh, my goodness. Um, then the heating went during the snow. Uh, yeah. So I relate. I totally relate. Uh, so what have I been doing? Um, because I work in this field, obviously I've got the skills, and and I'm doing a one. I'm teaching a wonderful course. It's still open if anybody's interested in in enrolling. It's called uh, Mindfulness and Resilience. It's the Mindfulness and Resilience Academy, and I can I can give you some details for that as well, AJ. Um, but um, what I do is I just do my mindfulness moments. I know it sounds so basic and so simplistic. But it works. This is the thing. It's just bringing yourself into the moment and just saying to yourself in this moment right now, I'm safe in this moment right now. I'm OK in this moment right now. Nothing bad is happening. It's in this particular moment. It may be. Yes, I've got to deal with the car and sort the car out. or I've got to deal with the gas man and uh, hope that he turns up, hope I get some heating on and and so on and so forth. But. It even helps if you just do this, you just hug yourself. It's called havening. There's an actual uh, integrative medical approach called havening. And it's actually, you, you just hug, give yourself a great big hug and you just stroke yourself, stroke your shoulders and bring yourself right back down. It calms you down. It just actually sets off our calming. I can actually feel it happening, right? Everybody, whilst you're watching, you can do this with me. It actually just calm yourself down. I am safe. I am safe, I am calm, I am safe. Right now, in this very moment, everything is okay. Everything is just as it should be. You can close your eyes and just give yourself a lovely hug and stroke your shoulders. And it really, it, it's so profound. It's such a basic, profound exercise that looks, again, incredibly simplistic. The thing about positive psychology is that we all know this stuff, we all intuitively know it, but sometimes we just need a reminder. And, you know, so that's what I'm here to, to remind you about. <laughs> so, and I hope you don't think that I'm sort of, uh, you know, kind of teaching teaching stuff or talking about stuff that, that you're, you're thinking, oh, I know that. But the point is I do really, I do think in the day-to-day -day that we forget, we forget to do the really basic stuff. And it happens because we're running around like like crazy things um, because we're all juggling a million and gazillion things all at once. And that's just modern life. But the good news is there are strategies to to sort it out. Uh, Janie, I was Googling to see if I could find the show on Netflix and I'm finding a couple. One is that, that are on that topic. One is called The Mind Explained and one is called The Kindness Diaries. Is uh, yeah, um, actually, it's those are great. Um, this one is something like, oh, do you know, it's something like, uh, no, do you know, I'm not even going to have a stab at it because I'll, I'll mislead you and tell you something wrong. I was just going to say, if I have a quick little look I'll see if I can just do a quick, uh, it's actually, as I say, it is on YouTube, um, uh, altruism, 
I'll just put in altruism film. Um, there we go. Because now you got everybody wanting to watch it. <laughs> I know, it's brilliant. Um, it's, I think it's actually the altruism. Yes, there we go. It's the altruism revolution. Thank there you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, AJ. Yes, yeah, thanks for prompting me to search for that because I knew I'd, I'd know it when I saw it. Uh, yeah, it's the altru re altruism revolution. It's amazing. They've, it, it's so interesting. They actually show you experiments in the film on babies. We have an altruism response even as little tiny babies. It's Human beings are amazing and they're much kinder than we think they are. <laughs> So, which is a good thing. And, and we are getting there. We're getting there. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you, it's, AJ. It's very, you know, I, I took a mindfulness class once at UCLA and actually was, I was sent by my gastroenterologist because I had IBS and I learned a lot. It was really interesting because you think, well, it's not going to help, but it really does. It maybe doesn't cure a hundred percent, but it sure makes you feel about better about whatever you're going through. It really does. Um, yeah, absolutely. I find the same thing with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, yeah, it really, um, to me, it actually does make a physical difference because um, I, I can actually notice uh, because I, my, my blood levels of uh, CRP to, to measure inflammation are always monitored by the doctors. And uh, so I know that when I'm on point with my meditation and my mindfulness and doing all these good things, uh, my CRP is a lot lower. So it's actually measurable. And that's not just me, by the way. Um, it is, it, these things are actually physiologically measurable. So this is why I'm sharing them with you because um, I only ever want to talk about things that we have actual solid evidence for and the research is really strong. So we know they work and they, we know. And, and my hope is that people will go away and share this with their loved ones. Yeah, great. Thanks so much, Janie. A pleasure aj thank you for having me because you know what it's it's an absolute honor to be able to talk about this topic it's important it really is it really is and there have been so many nice comments about it like uh one of them charles says this is an awfully good speaker yes absolutely so <laughs> uh, thank, thank you, you. Charles, well, well, thank you sir <laughs> <laughs> that's great well, thanks so much janie look forward to having you back next month and thanks all of you for watching another episode of chef aj live please come back tomorrow for vegan doc talk with scott harrington it's a q a and it's at 11 a.m pacific time thanks everyone bye-bye